0: Covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew.
1: All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it.
0: And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke.
1: There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light.
0: And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts.
1: The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him.
0: Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for.
1: He came to his own and his people, his own people did not receive him. But all to all, but all who did receive him, who believes in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who are born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor through the will of man, but of God.
0: And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me.
1: And the word became flesh and dwelt among, among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, who bore witness to him, cried out, This was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me, because he was not before me.
0: And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their hearts and understand. Hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed.
1: And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ.
0: Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it fell.
1: No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made known to him.
0: The holy seed is its stump.
2: Good morning, everybody. I am really, really glad to be with you guys. Um, if you want to follow along this morning, we're going to be reading in Isaiah 6, which is page 571 in that black Bible that there's, that's there on your pew, or your chair. It's not pew. Boy, that's, that's some old-school mental training right there. Um, uh, if you don't have a Bible, please take that with you. That will be uh, our gift to you. I, I'm so glad be with you because I both know many of you and also don't know many of you, which is fantastic. For those that don't know me, my name is Nate. I am one of the pastors at SOMA, and I was here at the beginning, right? Like the first Sunday we launched, the first two years of downtown, uh, this was our church. This is where my family worshiped. Um, I know and love many of you, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad to be back, especially this week, as, as Kent alluded to, we've had a tragedy in our family. And uh, Dave and Brooke, in many ways, are examples of what SOMA is across our city. There are people that have mattered to every one of our congregations. Um, obviously, they spent many years here ministering, um, growing, caring for many of you as MC leaders, uh, We've loved having them at Northwest, um, watching their kids grow up, and yesterday, gathering together as believers from every congregation, absolutely overflowing the Midtown building, um, watching people from all over the city come and care for them and love them. Um, If this isn't what we're trying to do, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, loving our own during the midst of the worst trials and storms that we can endure. I mean, that's, that's what we come together for. <laughs> and feeling God's presence made clear, even in those moments where it most feels like maybe God isn't there at all, but knowing that He's there because you physically see His body present. Where is Jesus? Jesus was right there. His hands, His feet, His body physically present, reminding them that even in this, I'm with you. And I just want to thank all of you that were there, all of you that have reached out and cared for the disciples. If you are interested in more ways to help, there's meal trains, there's a GoFundMe page. I think there's going to be like a, a cleaning schedule. As people go through trauma and we move past the initial, oh my gosh, how do we get from this has happened to you know, the very first next steps culminating in a, in a memorial service funeral yesterday. And we move on to how do we help people sleep and eat and keep their house clean? How do we help people um, put the tragedy of their life into context? Because now it's a part of them. And how do, you, how do you not move on? You don't ever really move on. But how does this become part of your story? And how do you find ways to endure and grow and be strong through it? Uh, That's a group project, and that's going to take all of us. So if you want um, any of those ways to help, I think they're floating around Facebook. I'm sure you can reach out to Kent. He'll be able to share those links with you. For those that don't know me, part of the reason why um, I'm up here talking about global missions this week, my wife and I were missionaries in Argentina for nine years. We worked in um, the shantytown slums there. With heavily impoverished people for nine years, uh, which was really beautiful and very difficult and uh, sort of horrifying work all at the same time. Uh, Now we live uh, up on the northwest side of Indianapolis. Uh, I have a day job. I I do boring internet stuff during the day uh, and largely take care of people and help pastor at Soma Northwest, uh, well, pretty much every day. (laughs) But Especially, uh, especially on the weekends when I'm, when I'm not at my day job. And as Bobby and I, uh, I know Bobby Barber uh, preached last week. Uh, I listened to it. I, I think it was, it was a powerful and encouraging word. And as we were coordinating how we were going to talk about this concept of global missions throughout this Advent season, it was really important to us to reframe this. Global missions has a weird connotation, if we're honest, a lot of people don't understand it very well, or it feels like heavy, or it's just like imperialistic, you know, cultural imposition kind of thing. Um, And to be perfectly honest, the history of global missions in uh, the church is, is pretty spotty and pretty freaky. So we wanted to relocate ourselves as God's people in his word and reconnect ourselves with God's mission. And so last week, as Bobby talked about, Jesus is the original cross-cultural missionary, the original person who left his home culture to identify with another people, to bring them light and good news. This week, I want to talk about how that wasn't just this new thing that Jesus was doing, but it was actually part of God's plan from the beginning of time. And this morning, we could start in pretty much any passage of Scripture. We could start in Genesis 1. We could start in Exodus, where I I know nobody probably wants to go back to after talking about it for a year. But we could talk about God's mission, His passion, His heart for the entire earth using almost any passage of Scripture so that by the time we talk about Jesus coming, which is what we celebrate during this Advent Christmas time, we're really well-prepared and well-suited if we've been listening to God's heart and God's vision. So this morning, we're going to uh, spend some time in Isaiah 6. And part of the reason why I want to start in Isaiah 6 is because the context of what Isaiah was dealing with feels so relevant and so urgent to the time that we live in. And the way God revealed himself and his mission to Isaiah, I think, will encourage us it will help us realize that God has been about shining his light throughout the whole world for all time. But it's not a light that just shines. It's a light that shines in darkness and in the darkest of times. And the context in which Isaiah is writing, again, that's page 571, Isaiah 6, the context in which Isaiah is writing is that Israel uh, is about 200 to 300 years removed from the reign of king david from its glory days from when everything was pure and right and now two or three hundred years later uh, they're coming off a 50 year long bout of prosperity Uh, king uzziah king also called king uzziah he he has recently passed away he reigned for about 50 years and the nation was secure and there was prosperity and people were doing really well towards the end of his life uh, Uzziah became increasingly arrogant and proud, and at the end of this kind of long, prosperous reign, it felt like Israel was in decline, like things were starting to decay. And Isaiah says, if you, you flip over a few pages to Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah 1, 11 through 23, this is what Isaiah says of the day in which he lives. What to me is the... And Isaiah right now is going to quote from God. God himself... Is talking to Isaiah, and God is critiquing Israel after all of this prosperity, after, after all of these years of power and God blessing this nation. This is what God says at the end of it. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts beasts i do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats when you come before me who has required of you this trampling in my courts Or you show up on the sabbath and people are just flooding in and you're making all these sacrifices i didn't ask you to do that I don't want all of these sacrifices. Bring no more empty, vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. You keep coming together to worship me. And I'm sick of it. Because I see what's really going on. I see the sin and the injustice and I'm tired of it and I want no part of it. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. You're a bunch of murderers. As a people, you're a bunch of murderers. You think I'm just gonna listen to you and just keep blessing you and keep pouring out good things when there's blood on your hands? Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, Remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the will's cause. Come now. Let's reason together. God says to them. Let's chat you and me. Let's talk about what I really want out of you. Because it's not for you to show up and sing songs to me and make offerings to me. And make prayers to me, all while you're wiping the blood on your shirt. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. If you are willing and obedient, eat the good of the land. Look, I want to heal you. I want to cleanse you. I want to bless you. But we need to have a word together before that's going to happen. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then Isaiah says, "How the faithful city has become a whore, she who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver's dross, your best wine is mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves." Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. This is the context in which Isaiah is writing. After years of prosperity, this is what God has to say about his people Israel. It is unflinching, it is honest, it is accurate. And I think it's fairly applicable to us. If we are honest with ourselves at all, we as a people feel these same things, see these same things. And Isaiah is prophesying at the start of his book to bring light into darkness. How can I shed light on this? And you can feel his words dripping with outrage, dripping with contempt, dripping with frustration. So how do we get from Isaiah chapter 1 to all the amazing prophecies of Jesus? Last year, the entire Advent series was prophecies from Isaiah. And we spent time in Isaiah 9, all these wonderful chapters in Isaiah, saying the Messiah is coming, the King is coming. How do we go from chapter 1 to for unto us a child is born, a son is given, The government shall be on his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How do we go from there's blood on your hands to Emmanuel, God with us? How does Isaiah get there? And the answer is Isaiah 6. He sees God. In Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God and to see God himself is to see his heart, it's to see his purpose, and to be changed by it forever. Our God, and this is is the big idea today, guys. This is the big idea, really, of this whole Advent season, of this entire theme of global missions. You could argue it's the big idea of everything. God has always had one mission. He has always had one mission, to make himself known and to see his glory and greatness displayed to all creation. That's what he's been about before the world began, when he created the world, when he sent Jesus, and when he returns and all things are made new. It will always be about God displaying, revealing, uncovering his greatness and his glory to all creation. So we start then in Isaiah 6.1. We realize that this mission of God is a mission to reveal himself. In 6.1 it says, The year King Uzziah died, the year when all hope was lost, when the king who reigned for 50 years and brought us peace and prosperity was gone, and it looked like things had turned permanently. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. If you guys finished up the book of Exodus recently, you talked about all of the things, uh, all of the work that went into the tabernacle and the way God defined for them the environment in which he wanted his people to worship. And we realize that now in the, in the temple age, they've built a building. And again, it's meticulously constructed to give the people this context in which God's going to dwell here. And it's easy to think of that as sort of metaphorical, well, God doesn't really live there, God's spirit. In this case, Isaiah goes into the temple and he sees God. And whether this is just a straight-up vision, he's really seeing it, or whether he's just getting the sense of God himself, it doesn't matter. He sees God high and lifted up. He sees him for what he really is. And one of the things that, that we talked about in Exodus a lot is that no one ever really sees God's face. When they talk about God, they're always describing the ground. Because you can't look at God. When you come into God's presence, you hit the ground. And what he says is, I see God high and lifted up, And the train of his robe fills the temple. He can't even look at him high on his throne. He hits the ground and all he notices is in a giant room like this, his robe, the train of his robe is just rippling out, filling everything around him. He can't even look at the Lord. He's just like, oh my gosh, look at the floor. Look at the floor. Look at his robe filling everything. We could start anywhere, but this is, this is always the same story. One singular mission, m- to make himself known, to display that glory and greatness in all creation. And so the Lord God reveals himself to Isaiah. And the thing we realize is that God's mission is also glorious and indescribable. Verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim, they're like some kind of angel, but the point is, we don't even really know. Like, it's just a word. Above them stood the, those things. Those things, I can't even barely tell you what they are. There's no word for what I saw. There's just, I'm going to say seraphim. This is the word, and I'm going to describe them. And it's like they had six wings, and two are covering their face, and two, their feet, and two, they're just flying. He has this glorious glorious vision and i have to think that it's terrifying to him in this moment i mean just think about just think what's described there straight up if i told you i saw this thing flying and it had six wings and it was covering its eyes and feet and flying with it that is a horrifying thing to think about isaiah is not in this moment like oh wow He is floored. He is scared. And in this moment where God has shown his glorious mission to reveal himself to Isaiah, Isaiah realizes how much bigger it is than what he even knew. Isaiah is a good Jew, a good Israelite, and he would have thought of God as caring for his people, his chosen people. God is about us. He's all about us. He picked us out of all nations. He made his covenant with us, right? He redeemed us from Egypt. God is all about us. In this moment, God says, no, I'm all about much more than that. Isaiah 6, 3. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And it says in 6.4 that the room shook. Imagine that. I'm going to get you guys up and make you do something right now. We're going to talk about what these words mean, but I want us to get a sense of what it would have been like to be in that room and to see his train filling the temple. There's these beasts, these angels just flying with crazy wings, and they are shouting to one another back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So right now, everybody stand up. We're going to shout back and forth to each other. This side of the room, y'all are going to yell. I want you to give it your best. I don't know if we're going to make the room shake, but we're going to do this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All right? We're going to do it back and forth. You ready? Give it a try. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy Lord of hosts. Good job. I feel it. You know, we didn't, we didn't shake the room. But this is what it's like. It's thunderous. And what they are shouting is the most important things that we can know about God. That he is holy, which means he is sacred, he is other, he is different, he is set apart. He is unlike anything else. The rules that apply to us do not apply to him. He is the maker of all things. There is nothing by which he can be judged. He is outside of everything. He is holy. In Argentina, they used to say, tres veces santo, 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 tres veces santo. He is holy, holy, holy. Three times holy. In ancient language, when you wanted to emphasize it, you'd say it twice. But if you wanted to say oh my gosh, this is the most defining thing that it could possibly be. You say it three times. He is holy, he is holy, he is holy. Do not be confused into thinking he's anything like anything because he's something else. He is his own thing. He is holy and they shout that continually. For all eternity, they're there just shouting back and forth. He's not like anything else. And it says, is the Lord of hosts. And I, I, you know, I don't love this translation. Hosts means armies, right? Which that makes a little more sense. Uh, the, the old NIV put, puts it, uh, is the Lord God Almighty, which is much more f- poetic and fluid, and I, I kind of like it just from the way it sounds. But it means the Lord of all the spiritual forces that exist. He is holy, 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 and he is the Lord of all armies, all spiritual forces. He has all things at his disposal. He is the commander of all the angels. And this is who he is. This is his greatness. And this is what Isaiah sees. And oh yeah, at the end it says, and the whole earth. Is full of his glory. When it says his glory, it's a word that means his weight, his heft, that he is physically manifested in all the earth, that the whole earth fills up with the weight of him. We know, because of what Bobby shared last week, that God will take that same glory, that same manifestation of His presence, and put it in the form of a baby, and Jesus will come into the world." And John says, "And we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. We see the heft, the weight the manifestation of God being physically present in the person of Jesus. But we realize that this is what God has always been about. I am big. You are small. I fill this room, and I don't just fill this room. I fill the whole earth. My glory is a weighty, heavy thing. He's always had this one mission to make himself known and to display that glory and that greatness and that heaviness and that weight to all creation. And when this happens, God's mission puts us in our place. Verse 4, "...and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke." And I said, woe to me. I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The only proper response to seeing God as He really is, His greatness, His heaviness, to seeing the room shake, the only proper response is to be like, that's it for me. I'm done. I can't stand in this presence. The same Isaiah, who just was so frustrated and so righteously angry at the sins of his people, at the injustice, the neglect of the fatherless and the widow, that same Isaiah now stands before God and he realized, oh no, he means me. I I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. I'm not outside of this thing to critique it, to criticize it. I'm in it. The blood's on my hands too, and I'm finished. Because now I see what God really is. Now I know what he really is, and I'm not innocent. Nobody's innocent. We're all guilty, and he sees it, and he is undone. God's mission puts us in our place. It reminds us who we really are. But it's also redemptive. It's also redemptive. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now he just said, That's it for me. I'm lost. I'm finished. I'm unclean, and now this crazy angelic beast with wings is coming at him with a fiery coal. What do you think he thought was going to happen? What would you think was going to happen to you? You've seen God. You now know what you are. You know what he is, and you know you don't deserve to stand before him. And now this crazy, horrifying beast flies at you with fire. That's it, right? That's it. You are going to be incinerated, and it's fine. You're okay with it. It's what you have coming. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. It's the last thing that he could have ever been expecting in that moment. In that moment of seeing God, of seeing his greatness, his heaviness, His holiness, the last thing he could have ever expected was a gentle touch on the lips to say your sin is atoned for. Isaiah's entire understanding of what God is about has been placed in a completely new context because he's seen God himself. He hasn't just seen his righteousness. He hasn't just heard his words, but he's seen the Lord. And now he knows who he is and he knows who he is. And it's changed everything for him. And in that moment of redemption, Isaiah realizes that God's mission invites us to join in it. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying in verse 8, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I imagine Isaiah, not even to anyone in particular, just overcome with the the awe and wonder of seeing God. And he just says, here, am I, here I am. Send me. I can go and talk about this. This is something that I can go and say. I've seen God, and it's glorious, and I deserve to die, and I lived. Send me. I'll go. Not like in this, like, I don't know. They used to preach, like, uh, mission sermons when I was a kid. It'd be like, be like Isaiah and say, here am I, send to me. And I don't think it's like that at all. I think it's just like, oh, I'm going to go and talk about this. I've seen him now. I know what I deserve and I know what I got. And I'm going to go talk about it. Send me, Lord. God's always had this one mission to make himself known, to display his glory, his greatness to all creation. And he's asking us to join in it but only once we've seen him for who he really is. And then God helps Isaiah understand that his mission will set things right. That that's what this is about. And he sends Isaiah back to the same people that he just came from. The people that Isaiah was critiquing, the people that Isaiah was sitting in judgment over. And he says, go say to this people, Keep on hearing, but don't understand. I'm talking to you continuously, Israel. I'm talking, but you're not understanding. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Keep looking at all the wickedness. Keep looking at all these things. Keep keep on seeing it. You can't avoid it. It's there in front of you all the time. But go ahead. Don't, Don't understand what's going on. Make the heart of these people dull and their ears heavy and bind their eyes because if they would see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts, they would turn and be healed. Keep telling Israel what's happening. Keep saying it. Keep calling attention to it. Keep putting it out there for them because if they bother to listen for a minute, their hearts will be split open if they bother to see what's really going on, they'll repent and they'll turn and I'd heal them. But it's not going to happen. And Isaiah says what so many of us say when we start to see the brokenness in the world. He says, how long, O Lord? How long? How long do we have to keep seeing the same things? How long do we have to keep seeing the same injustices? Right, like I realize I'm very old when I pull out a U2 reference. How long do we sing this song? How long? And God says, "Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, and the land is in a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Just a little while longer. Just a little little while." Longer because I'm going to come and I'm going to judge what's happening. You know, I, I, I think I, I've heard Kent talk about it before. This concept that God shouldn't judge anything is the kind of concept that really only flies in lands of wealth and privilege. Most people in the world are groaning, waiting for God's judgment. Most people don't see this idea that God will judge. As cruelty. They see it as kindness. It makes us nervous in America because we're the ones that are going to get judged. God's judgment's not unfair, it's well earned. We see the injustices and our hearts cry out. We see all the things. We see the racism, we see blasphemy, we see children in cages, we see these things. And it makes us mad. And as long as God's judgment falls on somebody else, all right. But when we realize that if God's judgment really came, that it would come to us that our lips are unclean and our people's lips are unclean, suddenly God's mission isn't so interesting anymore. (laughs) Suddenly God's mission to set things right doesn't stir our hearts suddenly that hand goes down and we're like yeah here they are send them (laughs) our god has always had one mission one singular mission to make himself known to display his greatness and his glory to all creation and yes will mean judgment. That is a good thing. That is a glorious thing. Because it also means that God's mission brings hope from the ashes. Verse 13, and even though a tenth remain in the land, even if I took 90% of the people away and did with them what they deserve, it would still be too many. I'll burn it again like a terebinth, which is like a bush or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. And then at the very end, he says, the holy seed is in that stump. And of course, that is what God did to Israel. He all but wiped them completely off the face of the earth. That glorious temple, that place where he lived, where he put his own name, where his robe filled it up, had it leveled. All the people removed. The holy city destroyed. But the holy seed was in the, was in the stump because God's mission brings hope from ashes. And Isaiah is going to spend the rest of his book unfolding where that seed is, growing life out of the ashes, which will blossom into to Jesus Christ. The physical manifestation of God's glory. The culmination of his plan. The big reveal. And this time, when people saw him, they were like, oh, well, that's just a baby. That's just a man. We know his mom and dad. We know where he came from. And they heard, and they didn't perceive, and they listened, but they didn't hear. So we're going to spend the next couple of weeks continually talking about this coming, this advent of God's glory, the physical manifestation of God's presence coming to earth and what it means for us in terms of our mission, how to make our mission the same as God's mission. But I want to close this morning and just ask, what do we do with this? What do we do right now with Isaiah 6? With God's unfolding glory? With flaming coals and beasts flying and judgment and destruction? What do we do with this? We're going to do the same things that Isaiah does. And we're going to realize that It's the things that we build our gathering and our community around. We start, we just worship him. We acknowledge how great and glorious he is. We take it in. Our faces hit the floor. We remark on his beauty. If you want to respond to this God, respond in worship, respond in awe. It's the only appropriate thing to do. Acknowledge what you see and hear from him. His holiness. His greatness. He's the Lord Almighty. Respond in worship. And then, confess your sin. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a woman of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. Acknowledge that for, with His holiness and greatness and majesty in view, that that means... That the sin is not out there. It's not in Washington, DC. It's not in some land across the sea. It's right here in this room with us. And we confess our sins. And then we accept his assurance and security of forgiveness. When the coal touches Isaiah's lips and he the angel says, Your sin is atoned for. Isaiah didn't say, Are you sure? He didn't argue with that. Every week, we worship. We confess. We receive assurance. Because that's all we can do. We acknowledge He's great and He's mighty and He's cleansed us. And we accept the assurance that if He didn't rescue us, we'd be lost. But He did. And then we accept His call to go, not a call that comes out of guilt, not a call that comes out of uh, imperial or cultural ambition. I really want to make everybody else in the world act just like me. But a response that comes from the same place that Isaiah's response came from, which was just like, I've seen him. I've seen the Lord God Almighty. I'll go, I'll talk about that. I could talk about how great he is and my own brokenness, and my own sinfulness, I can talk about that. That's something I know something about because I've seen him. So yes, I will go. And we respond to that call not out of obligation, but out of sincere awe and privilege. We come to the time each week where we celebrate communion. And we recognize that as much as a, of a mercy as it was for Isaiah to be touched with a flaming coal, that when God came to us, it's not a flaming coal that he touches to our lips. It's bread and it's juice. It's his body and it's his blood. He doesn't sear us with fire. He comes to us and says, Hey, here I am. Take this bread it will nourish you. Drink this cup. It's my blood. Because our atonement is found in Him, in His sacrifice. This is the same thing God has always been about. He's always been doing this. Showing the people of God how great He is. How much He loves them. How much He wants to save them. Judging wickedness and sin so that we would see the beauty and the power of atonement. So if you're a believer today, then then come and take part in this meal. Let it touch your lips. Receive that assurance. If you don't know Jesus, if you have not seen this God, this will be horrifying and weird, and that's okay. He's going to keep calling He's going to keep talking to you. He's going to keep seeking to overwhelm you with his greatness and his love. So there's no need to come and participate in this. It's not magic. It's a remembrance. It's a remembrance that our God comes with a towel to cleanse our to wash our feet and not a flaming coal to burn our lips. It's a remembrance that He is great and He is glorious. And He wants us to join in the mission of telling the whole earth just how great and glorious He is. Let's pray.